Well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal, or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Welcome one and all to Be Real. It's your movie reviewing and reappraising podcast. We are back on the broomstick again. My name is Chance Solon Pfeiffer. And I'm Noah Ballard. Noah, how are you? Pretty good, my friend. I've missed you. Missed everything about you. I've missed you too. It's nice to be looking at you for a Halloween episode. Absolutely. Yeah, it wouldn't be a wouldn't be a national holiday or another time of the year without doing a set of movies to correlate with that, would it? I mean, our Flag Day episode is, was really impressive, but this yeah. one will be good, too. The fan mail uh, for the Veterans Day episode was just unparalleled. It was pretty dark. Uh, but today, um, we have gathered to review three movies about uh, witch squads, crews of witches, you know, uh, fighting the patriarchy, fighting amongst themselves, um, in some cases, fighting the, uh, the earthly livelihood of children. Um, yeah. so yeah, we're reviewing Hocus Pocus, Practical Magic, and The Witches of Eastwick. Absolutely. And big shout out to, uh, Nick White, friend of the podcast for suggesting this coven themed, uh, episode of the pod. I've got to shout out my friends, Danny and Michelle, who suggested independent of Nick to me between, uh, tasting six and seven of a wine taster last week. So it's amazing that we all arrived together at this idea. It's been a month since we've looked upon each other and, uh, you know, rolled out our... we got to blow the dust off our rating system here, but should we tell the people quickly what we've been up to? Thanks. Thanks for doing this. Keep it real. Think slow. We should get through it just fine. Hello, Ryder Donnie. Donnie, hello, Ryder. My father showed up in my kitchen the other night. He lives in Nebraska, I live in Oregon. Wearing sunglasses and drinking a natty light, I did not know he was coming. I didn't really know what to make of his presence here, but it turned out to be a nice few days. Dig Doug likes to hike by himself and then just have beer and meals, so that was nice. But yeah, man, all's good here. What about you? Well, yeah, I've been pretty busy. I've been on the road. I uh, did my annual pilgrimage to Lincoln, Nebraska, the city that brought us together, Chance. That's right. uh, Spent some time in a professional capacity working with the grad students and the undergrads on uh, some publishing-related stuff. So that was all very good. Good to check in with some people. Good to drink some dollar beers. uh, Oh, yeah. And yeah, then I quickly returned from well so I, I went back from Lincoln to Omaha where they keep the airport and uh flew not back to New York but to El Paso, rented myself a car, and then my mother and brother and I who met me there drove to Marfa, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um but it's this former ranching town that in the nineteen seventies 
this sculptor named Donald Judd put all this money into to like turn the town itself like into an art installation and create sort of these spaces for artists to dwell and create their work adjacent to like things that are actually practical. So like you'll have a gas station across the street from a gas station art installation that's not actually functioning, but like looks like it should be. Yeah. And then, like, everything's sort of, like, one thing and also something else. So there's, like, a lumber yard slash coffee shop, you know, like, everything. There was a laundromat slash coffee shop that I went to. Isn't and then there, if you... Go ahead. Interrupt you, isn't there a Friday Night Lights, like, side plot where Saracen goes to work for somebody who's based on that person? On oh, probably. Chad? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely like Friday Night Lights territory, and it's this one stronghold for like sort of crazy art stuff out there near the Mexican border, like very difficult to get to. So I went out there for the wedding of my uncle Philip and his longtime partner Orlando. So I now have uh, some Marfa uh, dwelling cousins. Nice. I now have a cousin named Peanut, which is not something. I never thought I would be able to say, but there it is. Okay, let's run. Okay, buddy. We're going to be joined in a little bit by writer Heather Mason, who like live blogged her thoughts about Practical Magic, the 1998 uh, movie of questionable genre starring Sandra Bullock, Nicole Kidman, Diane Wiest, uh, Stockard Channing. Um, so we're going to talk to Heather in a bit, but we're going to start with Practical Magic. Sound all right? Yeah. Feel good murder comedy, Practical Magic. <laughs> Streaming now on Netflix. Uh, released in the year 1998, based on an Alice Hoffman novel. This, like, like all of the movies we are watching today, this movie opens with an overhead shot of the water in a sleepy New England town. Yeah, Salem adjacent. Yeah, 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 and and a nice sort of flashback to to a a, like the witch trial era thing going on where Diane Weist and Stockard Channing are doing a voiceover, a very like feministy take on like witchcraft, saying like this this legend of this young woman who was like supposed to be hanged, but because of like some false noosery or whatever ended up happening. She like, they pulled the thing from underneath her instead of being hanged. She was like the rope broke and she was fine. And everyone was so flabbergasted that they just let her live. That's right. That's right. But she quickly, uh, I believe because, um, the husband or the father of her child abandoned her, placed a curse on her and her entire bloodline, never to feel the agony of love ever again. So that stretches to the present day where, uh, sisters Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock um, have sort of opposite trajectories in life, but they are both kind of at the whim of this curse where if they fall in love, their their, their true love might die because a, a clattering death beetle might, might let them know that this hubby's about to die. The Owen sisters are two beautiful witches. Woo! Hang on to your husbands, girls. With one wicked problem. She has the worst taste in men. Any man they fall for falls victim to a deadly curse. Any man who wins the heart of an Owens woman is bound to end up six feet under. And as hard as they try, oh my God! They can't keep their loves. I feel like I'm never gonna see you again. Look out! Alive. 
Sandra Bullock like looks at this produce delivery guy, and then in the following <laughs> scene, they like are buying real estate together. Right. And then they have three kids, and then the death beetle comes, and he gets not hit by a bunch of bikers, but hit by a truck. Yes, and Nicole Kidman, meanwhile, a la Jenny and Forrest Gump, has just like headed west. Um, right. To she's be somewhere in, between, like, yeah, she's somewhere between Jenny from uh, from Forrest Gump, but also like the Miami sequence from Catch Me If You Can, yes. where she's just like <laughs> hanging out at these pool parties, like right. trying to figure out how the real to real works, mm-hmm. you know. And then she falls in love with um, Dr. Kovach from ER, Goran uh, Vosnich, yeah, who, yeah, in an incredibly creepy role. And didn't you think he was going to be, like, Spawn of Dracula or something? They, like, kept being, like, he's from, like, he's from somewhere near Transylvania, wink. And he keeps, like, referencing all these, like, gothic poets, wink. Right. But then, like, that never ends up being a thing. He's just, like, a shitty guy who's, like, has a couple of, like, mid-level warrants out for his arrest. Who just happens to be into, like, vampire cowboy shit and dress like Robert Rodriguez. Right. Oh, yeah. He's a definite Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, he's definitely like a an Eastern European uh, Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. So I guess the real plot of this movie picks up with Sandra Bullock getting a call from her sister, Nicole Kidman, and she says, I'm in trouble. Come to this motel and find me. And what's happened is like the relationship with Dracula guy with with uh, Eastern European Robert Rodriguez has turned violent and he's become abusive and she like wants to get out of it but she but he's still like around and then they like get in this car together and then they murder him and then they bring him back to life and then they murder him again and then they bury him back in where whatever sleepy New England town and then they, like, continue on with their lives. And, like, they're just chilling, like, just being goofy sisters. And there's, like, a weird, like, drunken margarita, like, midnight margarita scene yep. for, like, really no reason. And then, like... Lime the coconut, the, baby. And then, like, the tequila tastes weird. And then they're like, wait a minute. <laughs> something's happened. Yeah. And then Stocker Channing and Diane Weist, like, go off to shoot uh, West Wing and uh, <laughs> the latest Woody Allen movie, respectively. Uh-huh. And then this, like, weird cop thing starts to unfold with Aiden Quinn. The problem with this movie, one of the, one of the problems is that, like, you're, you're saying what the entire movie is, like, it's such a, like, and then this happens movie that it's hard to know, like, what the setup is. Right. Because by now we've told you an hour and 20 minutes of the film. Right. And it's only, like, an hour and 40. Right. <laughs> yeah. It, it's but yeah, it's unclear. Like the witchcraft is not the hook of this movie. It's like a movie about sisters, yeah. but then it like becomes like a cop drama. But then it's also a romantic comedy that's like trying to get Sandra Bullock and Aiden Quinn together for some reason. Yeah, which doesn't make any sense because of the fact that like if she falls in love with him, he's gonna die the beetle death. That's true. He's going to get Beetlejuiced. <laughs> Did you... I thought so much about how Beetlejuice belonged in these films. I think that, yeah, Practical Magic definitely needed, like, its Beetlejuice. Yes. This is a movie, unlike Beetlejuice, that needed <laughs> Beetlejuice. Yep, I would agree. I would agree. 
yeah, didn't have enough of a, like the other movies, like I think the conceit of them is pretty simple, you know, like people, like there's some accidental, you must not read from the book kind of stuff or like women like are wishing for something and then it like they get what they deserve kind of thing. Yeah. But this one like doesn't really have a setup other than this sort of like Lilith fair sort of legacy of witchcraft, late nineties, Sarah McLaughlin (laughs) sort of like, yeah, feel to it, like without really a plot. So then when it needs to have a plot, it falls back onto like, the least feminist plot it can think of, which is like, I better land a man by the end of these 90 minutes. It's true. I will say though, that feel you've just described very well though, is very pleasing to me. It felt like a very joyful outing um, in a lot of ways because the soundtrack is magnificent. Right. Um, It's amazing that there's not any like cranberries or indigo girls or Liz (laughs) fair or something on it. But yeah, it's pretty good. I think Nicole Kidman is excellent in this movie and i feel like i'm coming around on nicole kidman in general these days she seems to be exclusively interested in doing like really cool shit and then i went back and watched this movie and she's just she's just always going for it and like when she's just in her car singing a case of you not very well like that's sort of like that's her version of like falling in love with uh, mark feuerstein it's just like she doesn't really want to be with jimmy angel she's she's meant for the road Right. What's interesting, too, like where she is in her career, like she's just finished shooting Eyes Wide Shut with Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. And she's coming to this movie that's like directed by Griffin Dunn and like Mm -hmm. is opposite like the lead from Speed in like a pretty palatable like mid-market sort of like women's Halloween movie. And she's like giving a level of, and like her like writhing in agony when she's being like exercised and whatnot is like pretty compelling. Right. But like... Nicole Kidman doesn't uh, screw around. No, but like across from Miss Congeniality, like is such a weird mix. It's such a weird like ingredients in this potion of a movie. (laughs) I agree. And I kind of wish that they would have... My problem... My big problem is I don't think they let the Sandra Bullock character is not well defined. And she's mostly kind of just like sagging into grief because the movie kills her husband. Um, right. And as we established when we talked about while, while you were sleeping, sad sack Sandy is not the best Sandy. It's not optimal Sandy. No, like, uh, you know, got up on the wrong side of the bed farcical Sandy is the best Sandy. Oh, fish out of water Sandy? Absolutely. Yeah. And this is not that. And so she just goes back and forth between between being like just so hopelessly sentimental and depressed and then she, but then she enters into this like mind game with the cop at the end where she's like testing him in a way that is more like her sister than her. Which is weird too because like she starts on such a an awkward like oh my god I'm having a heart attack I can't lie to the police sort of thing with him and then in the following scene she like is now wearing a black dress instead of like a sweatshirt and she's like some sort of seductress you know just like she's criticized her sister for in the previous scene and then nicole kidman's like in another movie entirely trying to kill the police officer (laughs) with her like with her spells and her potions and her poisons this movie 
is a bit of an escape artist. I mean, I think that's like the only thing that stops it from being horrible is I like it has these sort of clever writing flourishes where they need the women to come over. They need to form a coven to banish Jimmy Angel's spirit. And then it's just like, where do we go? Bam, it's right there in the in like the the tree, the tree numbers list. Um, And like when you're at home and it's just like, oh, man, I don't really want to see Sandra Bullock like fight with her aunts about these daughters. Like, well, here comes Nicole Kidman and she's got a dead boyfriend. Like it's good at sort of it's it's both like messy, but also kind of like just forget about that. We're on a new thing now, which makes it entertaining, I think. I felt like it was just it. It's just these like little tricks the movie tried to play on me. Like, oh, Sandra Bullock doesn't practice magic. I mean, except when she needs to like stir her coffee. It's mm-hmm. like, well, then she's practicing magic. She doesn't like not do it. There are moments where she uses the magic. That's practice. It's like, oh, magic, we can't yeah. bring back people from the dead. It's like, except in this case. <laughs> but then we uh, murder him immediately. Well, uh, yeah, the thing is that, the, like we said, the rules of magic are ill-established in all three of these movies. The rules of these, this movie, yeah, and the magic, like, just, this movie needed some rules, and yep. it, like, it didn't have any fun with them, it didn't have any fun with, like, her getting picked on, like, as a kid, and then, like, getting her revenge later. Like, that classroom scene, like, could have been so much more fun with Nicole Kidman and Sandra Bullock had we had, like, a kid classroom scene that sort of, like, mm. paralleled it. Sure. But, but we didn't, so it's, like, what are these adults doing in these, like, little desks? And, like, of course Sandra Bullock is going to get picked because, like, it's a movie with Sandra Bullock in the lead. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're describing is that, like, that scene then is only fun because of Nicole Kidman. It's not fun for the whole movie. Yeah, like a sort of drunk Nicole Kidman being like, I haven't, yeah, I didn't do that thing right there where I like snapped that woman's spine, but like I did do that thing with the piece of paper. Sure, sure. Um, I don't know. Let's get toward rating it, shall we? Do you want to remind the listeners like how we do things here on Be Real? So much. All movies and most of life can be described with our rating system. The four categories are good, good, bad, bad, good, bad, and bad, good. The first good or bad refers to intellectual quality. The second is pure pleasure. Good good is easy. Things that make you feel smart and happy, and that for both reasons you'd want to do again. Like watching The Departed, or Jaws, or calling your pal to do a podcast with him. Good good movies make Noah say, Love that. Bad bad is easy too. Things that bring you neither stimulation nor joy. Basically, you just wasted your time. Things like watching White Chicks or Wild Wild West, a conceptual double album of Christian pop punk. Bad, bad movies make Chance say things like, I hated that. Good, bad, then, is something you recognize as worthwhile, but not something you enjoy. Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, most classical music, eating your goddamn vegetables. Good, bad is about being an adult, and these kinds of movies make Noah say, I mean, I'm glad I saw it once, but never again. Conversely, bad good is for your thoughtless inner child. It's Cheetos. It's late career Billy Joel. It's movies like Christmas Vacation. Honey? Kids? And Deep Blue Sea. Bad good movies make chance say, But it failed in such an entertaining way. Got all that? Now buckle up, because you're about to hear an opinion stated as fact. I'm going to have to say this movie is a bad bad. I think it doesn't make any sense. It's a bit long. Um, it never really picks a genre. I mean, thus absolving it from tropes of genres, but like still it, it, it never really 
becomes like a movie. It, you know, it, it didn't really congeal for me at the end. Uh, maybe I'd like watch a scene or two from it if it's on at a Halloween party in the future, but I don't think I'll ever return to this one as like a seasonal favorite. I'm a little bit higher on it than you. I'm going to give it a bad good. I think there's too much wattage, and I think the cast is having too much fun to have it be not watchable. And I mean, and I like the way that this one sort of, like like so many of these movies, but it it pitched through the years that like this this sisterhood is ongoing, and even the like Aiden the Aiden Quinn plotline is what for me clearly stops it from any chance at a good good. Uh, but I still. I'm into that sister relationship and I was glad too that they got their moment where they got to kind of, even if it was, if it felt tacked on, like they got to yell at each other about who they are and just air their grievances. And also that margarita scene is amazing. So bad, good for me. The margarita scene is amazing in a, like a, the Richard Linklater version of like just witches hanging out kind <laughs> yeah, of thing. Yeah. But like it, it didn't have that to it. Um, shout out to, to the trope of this genre of, if you can't find a broom, a vacuum cleaner will do. I like that. Wait, isn't that in Hocus Pocus? Is that in two of these? It's in this one and in Hocus Pocus. All right. All right. There's a lot of overlap in all three of these movies for better or worse. That's and I true. probably think it's worse. Let's talk now to Heather Mason, who wrote a really fun piece for Sci-Fi Wire about Practical Magic. Watching it for the first time, much like us, I think uh, I landed pretty close to Heather's opinion. She certainly liked it more than you, Noah, but let's go down to that combo. Well, our guest today is a writer for sites like Smart Girls, Sci-Fi Wire, Geek and Sundry, and IGN. She is also the host of the Obsessed Right Now podcast, and she comes to us Today is a person who earlier this week uh, watched Practical Magic for the first time and wrote along with it, uh, wrote along with what I'm going to say, I guess is an underknown, maybe underappreciated witch movie, uh, Heather Mason. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. Um, so I wanted to get in this way when it comes to Practical Magic. When you took the approach you did, which was sort of like live blogging, live thoughts, is that fair to say? Yes. Like 30, like 35 observations um, along with this movie. Did you know that it would so lend itself to that? Because this is such a movie where it's like, and then this happens, and then another thing. It would kind of fit your form perfectly. I had no idea, but like my, my editor kind of suggested movies that she wanted people to cover. And I was like, hey, I've heard of this movie. I've never watched it. Uh, I like Sandra Bullock, so like, sure, I'll go for it. Sure. So it, did, it definitely ended up being more fun than than i expected are you are you surprised it's not more famous given that it stars two of our like best brightest like actresses of the last 25 years what was shocking to me is like i posted my you know my like piece on my facebook and i got like so many responses like it was ridiculous how many people were like i love this movie and i'm like how is so many people love this movie yet i'd never really heard of it and never like had had the opportunity to watch it before yet everybody was like this is great i love this movie it's my favorite i watch it every year so i'm oh, like wow. how have we not been talking it's not like hocus pocus where i do feel like people talk about it all the time so i'm like where why why are people not talking about practical magic as much even if they apparently love it which did, they seem to 
But do you I mean do you have theories after seeing it or maybe after after reading about it? Like why is it why is it under the broader radar, but maybe I guess a cult hit if people are having that response? I guess because it's kind of it's not like bad, but it's not necessarily <laughs> good either. <Right>. So it's <laughs> it's not like and, and also like a lot of a lot of the like Disney Channel movies, people have like this like nostalgic feel. And so maybe it doesn't fit into that as much as, you know, something like Hocus Pocus or like Halloween Town ones where you're like, I remember watching this as a child. Like, you probably didn't watch Practical Magic as a child, hopefully, because it's pretty dark. Yeah. So in your in your 33 observations, you touch on, I think, a number of things that I was thinking about. But I think that, you know, any careful observer would be thinking about, which is just like why the vast lineage of one dark-haired girl and one red-haired girl um why is why does the mark Feuerstein character not have a line uh why do they bury uh jimmy angel in the front yard just all the all the why questions one would have um but you in the beginning and kind of throughout were felt like we're sort of reckoning with like what genre is this movie because it sort of positions itself as a rom-com but is it? What do you think? I don't really feel like it's a rom-com. I feel like it's more like about the family. Like, yeah. I don't like because I mean, they do try to like throw in this romance at the end with the dude. But like, I f- it felt very random to me. I just For felt sure. like it was mostly about like the sisters and their relationship with the other with the aunts and the and her daughters. I felt like that was more like the central relationships of it. And while they tried to have like the weird romantic comedy moments Mm -hmm. it ended up like it was so many people lost their love interest so i just feel like that it's not necessarily really going for the romantic comedy angle there the movie had has a lot of i guess i'll call them like key changes just emotionally yeah because this is a movie where the husband like the the love of her life does straight up die after a matter of like minutes um but then you still have things like uh, like the Midnight Margarita, but then of course, you, and then you have the the pretty harrowing like cross country abuse saga going on with with Angel. How did you were you were you <laughs> able to ride the peaks and valleys of the tone of this movie? I was confused a lot as to like one like how much time had passed on things. Like great question. She she was with her sister and then she left. Like Nicole Kidman left and then. Then the, she, then Sandra Bullock's character traveled across country. Like I was confused as to timing of all of that. Yes. Um, I definitely was really just like, what is going on? Like most of the time when I was watching it, I enjoyed the them killing like uh, the guy from Goran Vishnik is his name, I think, right. from ER. I really enjoyed that part, but it also was like, why don't you just go to the police? Like this is clearly a case of self defense. Right. Like he he kidnapped you. Yeah. Like, I don't, it seemed, I, I had a lot of questions like that where I'm like, there were so many outs where you just like <laughs> yeah. could have, you could have like changed this or just gotten out of this situation and they never took the outs. They just mm-hmm. got in deeper and deeper and somehow thought they could bury them, him in the front yard. I mean, I have to do some inferring because your, your thoughts are, they're short and they're quick and they're, they're funny, um, in your piece. Uh, were you in... For the Sandra Bullock performance? And if so, why? I just love Sandra Bullock. I felt like she performed... She was just like... She was the most Sandra Bullock 
that she could be. Like, yeah. I just, like, she was really going for, hard for that rom-com thing. And I was in, like, 100%. Mm-hmm. I just love her. I think, like, I thought Nicole Kidman was really good, too. But it was just, like, I see Sandra Bullock and I'm like, she's in a rom-com. Like, that's all I can see. Sure. Even though she's done a lot of, like, obviously very dramatic movies. I, like, the last thing I watched was, like, two weeks notice with her and Hugh Grant. Oh, so I just yeah. was like, this is Sandra Bullock. Right, right. Um, and she she really was, like, so anti-falling in love. And she, like, really went after that. And yeah. so I felt that that part, like, really... I was like, I've seen this Sandra Bullock before. <laughs> and yeah. that's what I, like, clung to. Sandra Bullock was like, really like, I must do what's best for my children, mm-hmm. which I also enjoy. But again, she, they they both kind of buried a man in the in the yard. So, the soundtrack, as you noted, uh, is amazing in this movie. Yeah, and it's sort of it's weird because there's like eight straight music cues where you're like, oh, that's amazing, and then it really stops and it goes back to that sort of like mischief orchestral like dun, 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 like thing for an hour and then comes stevie nicks at the end um did but did you have a cue that uh hit you the hardest or that was your favorite um the the one that i definitely was like wow you're really trying here was the where sandra book falls in love and like all of a sudden runs to Mark Gerstein's character and like Faith Hill's This Kiss is playing. Like that one, I definitely was like, oh, you're really pushing this hard. Right. This love, this love (laughs) angle. This love is going to last She all of a sudden falls in love with this guy, like is like immediately like, I must run to him, which I just think is weird. In boots. But I've seen in so many movies. Yeah. It looked hard. She's just like, oh, I must run at him right now. I'm like, you can't just walk down there. Like, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> but she runs. She must run down the middle of the street at him. Yeah. And and in, in case we didn't know that it was supposed to be like this dramatic moment where they kiss for the first time, you have to play like this super cheesy 90s, like Faith Hill song in the background. Mm-hmm. And it just... It just like really, I loved it so much. So Heather, before we wrap up with Practical Magic, I I had sort of uh, clued you into kind of how we rate movies on Be Real, the the good good bad good good bad 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 system. Um, I I'm really torn about Practical Magic. I don't know where it falls. But do you? What would you say? Is it? I mean, is it high quality, very entertaining, or is it sort of like? low quality still entertaining i feel like those might be the the categories for this one i feel like it's i I feel like it's bad good like it's entertaining it's definitely entertaining but like if someone were to analyze it with any kind of like screenwriting oh yeah abilities they would be like no like this has no like no one it does not make sense like the the act structures like what happens it makes no sense but it's it is entertaining so I think it's I think it's bad good. I like it. Uh, we're gonna talk about Hocus Pocus too, but let's take a break here in the middle because um, I wanted to ask you this: as somebody who is um, whose piece was part of a really cool like bout of writing about witches and witch movies and witches in pop culture this past week, a, a lot of a lot of sites um, uh, really felt like it was uh, I guess time to like talk about these movies and celebrate witches in pop culture, and it feels like. Um, witchcraft as as an aesthetic is very in but also kind of politically and i wondered i was curious if you had any thoughts on kind of 
um, why this celebration of, of witches and witches in art and, and why now? Why is it resonant? I definitely like lean towards movies and like different things that are very like female oriented. Mm-hmm. And so like we like we talked about with Practical Magic, it it really is a story about like family and like sisterhood. And I think that's another aspect of the whole witch thing is it does feel like it's kind of a group of women that can come together um, and have this like greater power when they do. So I think that's definitely an aspect of it that people enjoy. All right. So Hocus Pocus, in what context did you rewatch this recently? Disney owns a theater in Los Angeles called the El Capitan, Uh which is like, they show a bunch of Disney movies, but they also show like during Halloween times, they show um, Hocus Pocus. And so it's like in a theater setting, which is interesting because I had never watched it in a theater setting. Mm-hmm. And I also had a friend, I had a friend with me who had never seen it, which was also great. Yep. But but the, the like, it was one of those things where everybody, you could tell like people were had like such like large reactions to things in, in the theater setting when you're watching it with a big group opposed to watching something alone, which is how I watch Practical Magic. So it's cool to have that kind of experience. Well, the thing for me, tell me if you disagree, was I hadn't seen this movie probably since I was, you know, nine or ten. And I feel like it happens with a lot of kids' movies where it's something you remember and then you watch it as an adult and you're like, this is even more insane than I remembered. But it no wonder it affected me because it's such like a just a loud, brash, like wild movie. Um, was the audience feeding off that when you saw it in the theater? Yeah, and there was like there were children there, obviously, and I was like, "Why are children watching this movie?" Like, I don't Great think question. children should actually watch this movie <laughs> because it doesn't seem appropriate for children at all when you nope. watch it as an adult. And there were like very young children behind me, but yeah, people had like you could tell people had their moments where they were just like, "Yeah, like sing and dance, like let's let's do this," or laughing at ridiculous things that they said or like things that now you're like wow this is really dirty and i don't think i would have wanted my child to be watching that right um yeah just a lot of talk of uh virginity in general um, yeah they talk they they call that guy a virgin so many times it absolutely. was ridiculous um and then yeah the sarah jessica parker character is is kind of only there to be um i don't know like provocative sexually speaking yeah she almost wants to to play whatever she means by that with everyone um yeah she's like "Ooh, boys and i'm like you know like he's a teenager he's right. young <laughs> yes he's a child that is true um, he, yeah he's so young i'm like why is everyone one talking about his virginity all the time and why are you trying to hit on him when he's clearly a child it is a great point okay my last thought about hocus pocus is that it was recently announced that uh, I think it was, I thought it was going to be theatrical, which would be a bigger headline, but I think Disney is just uh, doing like a, a TV remake or reboot. Um, how does that strike you? Cynical, nostalgia, cash grab, or is there something in this kind of universe and the storyline that you think could be appro- improved upon in a fun way? I mean, they d- it's, definitely a, it's definitely a cynical, nostalgic cash, gra- cash grab, Yeah, but... I don't know. I don't know where they're going with it because didn't the sisters die? Like, <laughs> or is it is it before? Is it before? I don't. Great I don't know. I 
I, I did read like an article that said that they like all wanted to do it again. That they were all into the idea of doing it, the sisters. Oh, the same cast. Well, I, I don't know if that's actually gonna happen, but they but I think Sarah Jessica Parker was like, Yeah, we've all said we're totally down to do it again, but they're they're all really famous, so are they gonna get paid to do it? Probably not. Like it would be cheaper for them to find someone else to do it, right? Yes. Uh I mean if they they're going to do it in a way I don't want to see like the exact same movie with different people. Right. Because it's like not that great of a movie to begin with. So <laughs> you don't need to be like No, it's really It doesn't not. need to be remade in that way. It's just so cheesy and like silly that that's like the nice part about it. You don't need to try to make it look good now. Right. This is But true. if they're if they're going somewhere else with it, I don't know where they I honestly don't know what else they could do. I mean, what's his name? The the little boy, Thatchery. Is that his name? Thackeray. Oh, the Thack- from the 1600s. Thackeray Thackeray Binks. Thackeray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's his name. Good. Maybe he could do something. Like maybe we go to the 1600s. I don't know. I'm not necessarily be- clamoring for that. <laughs> I I don't know. I just don't know where they could go with it. That would be unless they're just making a straight up like remake. That's exactly the same movie. Like that doesn't makes sense to me to do that i guess the the one thing i was thinking is i the whole time i was watching it i was like i wish that uh i wish that it was not the main character was not a teenage boy facing off with the witches but a teenage girl so like there could maybe be some like empathy between some of the sisters and it wasn't just such a like you know a white 16 year old boy like face yeah i also woman. just like didn't like him oh he's he was aw- he's awful <laughs> He's such a like dick at the beginning. I just wanted. I just was like, I don't care about you at all. The, I think the the little sister is the best one because she's like oh, she actually, she's just like, listen, you think you're awesome, but you're not, boy. Right. Yeah. She... So I thought she was the best. So like, can we have her as an adult, please, <laughs> in the new movie? Yeah. Um, or maybe just like a before sunrise movie with the parents in the gym, and we never see the. Never, never see the witches or the kids. I'd be down for that. I want to see a, a movie with just the parents' side. Yeah. Why did they move from California to Salem? Yes. Great we don't question. know. <laughs> he thought L.A. was a party town. Yeah. Um, great way to end this movie. Um, okay. Well, I think that's. Unless you have other pressing thoughts, Heather, uh, I think we could wrap up there. But thank you so much for your time and your insights. I appreciate it. This was fun. Oh yeah, thanks for having me. I always like to talk about these kind of movies. They're fun. They are. Oh wait, what do you? What would you rate Hocus Pocus? Does that get a charity bad good as well, or does it lean more toward uh, bad bad? What do you think? I think bad good. It, it's it is entertaining. Yeah. Mostly because the mostly because of the actresses that play the witches. They're yeah. like very entertaining. They're hilarious and ridiculous. They make it worth it. Um. So yeah, I think I think uh, it's it's a bad good also. Here, here. Jump back. Twist the bones and bend the back. Back in 1693, the people of Salem, Massachusetts... Witches! ...thought they got rid of the Sanderson sisters for good. Uh, we shall be back! 300 years later, it's Halloween Eve. And they're back. Uh-oh. We are back. 
Thank you, Heather. No, are you ready to talk Hocus Pocus? Yeah, that seems seems like a good uh, sort of uh, lemon sorbet to the last uh, the last one. So ninety three. I assume you had a childhood interaction with this movie. I did not. No, I have seen this movie one time prior, which was in college around this time of year. You were forced or just to after watch college. It? Yeah, I think I watched it with a girlfriend or something, um, and I remember thinking it was garbage and not really like paying attention to the plot of it and still being able to basically follow what was going on. That's not that long ago. So I don't think this bodes well. No. Um, I mean, I definitely think it is, it's less bad than I thought it was five years, six years ago. Mm -hmm. If you do pay attention to it. Um, But let's set it up a little bit. So again, we have a prologue set Salem Witch Trial era. This one actually in Salem. In Salem, uh, by name, uh, where these three sisters, the Sanderson sisters, uh, you know, trying to steal the youth from this little girl. <laughs> in 1693. In 1693, and they're pursued by a young man. Um, Thackeray. <laughs> Thackeray. Um, whose audio has so clearly been ADR'd over this poor young actor's mannerisms. Um, And so you see the scene of them like boiling their, their potion and their, in their cauldron and like chanting the thing over this little girl. And this boy Thackeray sort of disrupts those proceedings kind of. And, uh, but the his sister, like, this is a surprisingly lighthearted movie where, like, two children basically die in the first five minutes. We then cut to the present, which is 1993, into somewhere between... I thought this movie was so funny because it's, like, somewhere between Indian in the Cupboard and Small Soldiers. Mm-hmm. Where you have, like, this boy who's just moved to town and he's like immediately sort of tries to like be braggadocious with like the, like the females in his class, but like ultimately like that doesn't work out and he gets like picked on by these sort of like big bullies and they steal his shoes. And well, then, he's one of those classic California conspiracy ki- theory kids. Right. I he's a truther. This, he's yeah. a proto truther. This is what this movie's just like, you know, people from California come to your town, talk about Jimi Hendrix, tell you Halloween doesn't exist. Yeah, there's a there's a moment where a public school teacher says, like, why don't you tell us about your California tie-dye logic? <laughs> and then he's like, Witches aren't real. Like the Salem witch trial was like crazy. Yeah. And then she he gets like he gets lady splained by his crush about like why witches are real. And then the whole class like stands up and applauds. Yep. And then school lets out and there's like craziness. He loses his shoes and then he goes home. And I really want to talk about this moment because like, again, this is a Disney film, (laughs) but there is such, there is a, it's not even that long. It's a three and a half second moment of masturbation. Yeah. Where this kid, the actor's name, funny enough, is Omri, just like our hero from uh, Indian in the Cupboard. Yeah. Um, but he 
<laughs> Little bear. <laughs> but there's this moment where he like he like moans the name of his crush Allison. like into Allison oh, into Allison. this like into this like pillow that he's like he's humping. Yeah. And then before you can say like what the fuck like <laughs> Thora Birch jumps out of his closet. Thank God. Well, not necessarily, thank God, because then she jumps into bed right where the pillow was. Right, and it gets a little incesty. Yeah. Because she's like, I'm Allison now. Why don't you kiss me? (laughs) And then, like, of course, and thank God, he's like, no. And then the scene moves on to something else. But it's just such a weird, such a weird moment. There's another weird, the other sort of gross moment, we'll get to it in a second, is the, the scene on the bus with the witches. Oh, yeah. That we'll get to that later. This movie is very sexual. This movie is way, way too sexual for its its Disney Castle opening title card. Yeah. This movie is also a mess, right? Oh yeah. But compared to Practical Magic, there's no reason for it to be a mess. Like it's pretty well thought out if you just look at the broadest beats. It's a good elevator pitch for a movie. Yes. Even down to the fact that, like, and of course, we will cast Bed Midler and she will get her showstopper. And right. they, this is contained. They have something to do in a length of time. And you know what? There's even this fun thing with uh, Billy Butcherson or whatever. Um, they mm-hmm. even have, like, an interesting side character in there who kind of can turn the tables a little bit. Why? And I mean, I know why, but I'm asking you, why is it such a mess? That's, it's unclear to me. I mean... It's it, it, it. You're right. It has so many like interesting things, and I think maybe the reason it is kind of a mess is because it like never, it never commits to either like we are going to dive into this premise head first and like if it works and it holds up fine. If it doesn't, you know, it's kind of like the small soldiers idea. Like small soldiers buys into the idea that like it's the humans versus these toys Mm -hmm. and like whatever happens happens, (laughs) you know, but like this, this movie has a musical number in the middle of it, but it like never fully commits to that like level of camp. Right. Like when it needs the premise, it like goes back to it to keep the plot moving. But like it really should just be like a weird, campy movie that's like maybe for adults. Yeah, the non witch adults in Hocus Pocus just behave in the most like um, addled, self interested ways. Like down to, I mean, I thought it was so interesting in the high school scene. The kids assume that when Bette Miller sings I Put a Spell on You, that she's going to put a spell on them to make them dance till morning. But in a movie where we see pink cotton candy smoke every time anything magical happens, I feel like it's sort of telling that we never see a spell get cast and that the parents just got rip shit on Jungle Juice in the high school gym all night. Well, that's like the funny thing, too, is like, did they cast a spell or are these adults just like really irresponsible? I and thought LA was a party seeing- town. Right, exactly. And then, like, seeing the other adults who, like, are not, like, spells are not cast on them, like the bus driver and, like, the fake cop and stuff, it's like, well, if everyone's a sexual predator, like, how, who doesn't have, like, a, a spell cast on them, like, what does that say for the people who do have the spells cast on them? I want to talk about something else. This movie 
needs to have a teenage girl as its protagonist. Don't you yes. think? First of all, Absolutely. Omri Katz is not a good actor. I, 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 this occurred to me when I was watching this. There are few more grating sounds in the world than an adolescent actor whose voice has freshly dropped straining against the walls of his larynx delivering every line <laughs> it is it is nails on a fucking pubescent chalkboard um, absolutely and that's and this, all this movie is is him yelling hey what i have to say like the only thing that i found yeah like more annoying than omri katz who i don't think ever worked again and parenthetically this role was originally cast with leonardo dicaprio who decided to do <laughs> what's eating gilbert grape instead oh man um is somewhere between that horrible cat and thora birch i was not ready for the cat to start talking i didn't if you don't remember that the cat talks in this movie the first time it talks you will lose your freaking mind Absolutely. And then, like, it, it also has this weird sort of, like, Beauty and the Beast moment at the end where, like, Thora Birch is, like, looking at the corpse of the cat and then, like, the shadow of, uh, what was his name? Thackeray? The, the shadow of Thackeray, like, appears as a vision. And then, like, he runs off with, like, another little girl. And then it cuts back to Thora Birch being like, I wish that little girl was me. <laughs> and then cut to, like, me on the couch going, like, what? Like, what is happening? <laughs> Roll credits. Or, well, hold on. Roll. I thought LA was a party town. Roll credits. Yeah, let's cut back to <laughs> the adults who are still partying. Oh, my God. I want to say a couple things that are good about it, that make it good, is that, um, or at least make it insane. Because that's the only argument you can make for this movie, is that, oh, I have some nostalgia for it, and it's crazy enough to be watchable. And it's short. Um, but the production design is pretty good. Like, I never felt like we were on sure. a Hollywood lot. Like, when you're in that, their their old Sanderson house that's been turned into a museum. I mean, anytime the costuming is great. I mean, Bette Midler is... She even, like, looks out of the, like, upper corners of her eyes as though she's looking for the back row in a theater. Um, that's, like, who she's acting right. to. She's not acting for the camera. <laughs> she's acting to something off screen. Um, and all this stuff we're saying about the parents to me is, is such a sort of, like, jaw-dropping WTF that I think it's probably a bad good for me. I wish I could get on the same page as you, but I just think this movie is such a mess. And like, yes, it was like fun to watch it again and realize like, okay, maybe it's like not as bad as I originally thought it was when some like smug person introduced it to me as like having all these like positive childhood memories of it, uh-huh. you know? And then I was just like, what the hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's still insane. And I still think it's like a crime that it's like not like campier and weirder and darker and Wait, it doesn't you don't really... think it's weird and dark enough? Campy, I get, but you just talked about how all the people die and how all the parents are like weird pervs. Yeah, but that's like, that's not like fun dark. That's just like creepy dark. Okay. When this movie like posits only to be a child, a child's film. Um, so, and for that reason, I just, it just made me uneasy. So I'm going to have to say this one also is a bad, bad Wow, no love for Noah and Witch Movies tonight. Should we go to, speaking of uh, bizarre films, The Witches of Eastwick? 
Uh, yes, I'm just sort of stretched out a little here because this is so if if the Hocus Pocus is like one of the weirder children's Halloween movies I've ever seen. I have to sort of spoil it at the beginning that the Witches of Eastwick is by far the weirdest movie I think I've ever seen. Wow, that's uh, that's quite something. Weirder yeah. than the Cell. Yes, hundred percent. I don't agree with that. Weirder than what are the other weirdest movies we've done on this show? It was weirder than Mr. Mom. <laughs> yeah, I'll agree with that. It's weirder than Beetlejuice. It's that's true. Yeah, uh, it was. This, Witches of Eastwick is if like Beetlejuice was like I'm gonna win Oscars. Yes, and then abruptly didn't. Oh yeah. Then got nominated for best sound design and didn't win. Yup. Um, 1987, streaming now on HBO. By the way, based on the 1984 novel by John Updike, directed by uh, tyrant of chaos and nihilism George Miller, who's done such films as Mad Max and Mad Max Fury Road, and also Babe uh, and Lorenzo's Oil. Um, it stars three friends in again a sleepy new england town of eastwick uh michelle pfeiffer Cher, white gold herself <laughs> and susan sarandon uh which is already that's incredible and these women have all been either widowed divorced or deserted by their husbands yeah Cher has been widowed. Susan Sarandon, her husband divorced her because she was barren. And then Michelle Pfeiffer uh, had six kids and then her husband walked out on her. And they're sitting around on Thursday martini night. Yep. And they're like, we want a foreign prince to come in on a black steed. And we, we hope he's funny and he listens to us. And Handsome, his, but not too handsome. That felt handsome, a little Handsome, but pointed. not too handsome. You know, big dick, but not a huge dick. That is actually, you're not exaggerating, that is in the film. No, that's that's a thing that happened. Um, and then, you know, some lightning crashes, and who pulls into town but one Jack Nicholson, mm-hmm. who buys the big property on top of the hill that has its own sordid past, and they're, they get exactly what they wished for, the man of sort of their wishes, their dreams. In the quiet town of Eastwick, where nothing ever changes, three beautiful women are about to discover powers they never dreamed they had. Who should we be looking for? He should be really handsome. Nice eyes. Now... The man of their dreams is here. Jane, at last we meet. To stay for a spell. Who are you? Just your average horny little devil. With the witches of Eastwick. We could do things you haven't any idea. <laughs> you know what's going on up in that house? She says she sees the devil here in Eastwick. Where to begin with the Witches of Eastwick, really? I'll, I know where to begin. I got to ask you a question that uh, my girlfriend Sarah put to me. From the kitchen, apropos nothing, 30 minutes after we'd finished watching the movie, she goes, hey, so are they witches? Right. So 
the movie sort of like posits early on that they like, if they all sort of think about the same thing, it happens. So there's like a scene where they're at a boring speech, like in the town square and they all think, man, this is boring. It'd be great if it rained right now. And then it just like pours and then everyone leaves. And then at martini night, they're thinking about that, but that's really the only example we can think of until, um, Jack Nicholson rolls into town as the second example. And then, yeah, as the movie goes on, when they, like, think of stuff, it sort of happens. Yeah. But also, there are, like, spells, and then, like, when they need a spell book, that sort of magically arrives in the plot of this movie. And there's also some, like, voodoo. Yes. You wouldn't say they live as witches, though. They're just people who become assured in their telekinetic powers through this relationship with Daryl Van Horn, Jack Nicholson, who is uh, the the devil, right? Or something like that. Something like that, an evil presence. But essentially, they're, yeah, they're just sort of like telekinetic Mormons. Yeah. They're not really, uh-huh. they're not really like <laughs> witches in the same way that even she is or they are in practical magic yeah not only is there not a pointy hat there's no paganism or communing yeah they're only witches in that they are like lone women looking for like a coven and a purpose yeah didn't you think it was funny how like susan sarandon gets her hair blown out and starts wearing these like really like well-fitting dresses and then Michelle Pfeiffer again, like, does up her hair with some hairspray. And then, like, Cher looks exactly the same as she did, <laughs> except she's, like, not wearing overalls anymore. That's right, yeah. I mean, Cher was pretty glam the whole time. Cher has been glam since the first frame of this movie. Oh, man. Um, okay, so can we dig into the gender politics of this movie? If you if you'd like, because I mean it's also deeply concerned with those. And I did a little research, and and John Updike, uh, who I mean David Foster Wallace classified him as one of his great male narcissists. He he looked at this book as um, something like sort of something between like a like a mea culpa and a just like a side reversal to like all the women who'd accused him of being sexist through the years. Um, he said it was like for right. his for his feminist detractors. And so what you have is this movie where Jack Nicholson plays the devil. <laughs> and he first of all, what should be accomplished in 10 minutes so the movie can get on its way, the seduction of these women is the movie. It goes on for an hour where he gets in a room with each and every one of them and sort of like tells them what they want to hear about him themselves and their lives and how great women are, and how bad men are, and at the last moment, he like aggressively negs them all, and that is just like too much, and they just have to have him, and that's so confusing. He's the ultimate like sexual predator. Like I can't help but like I mean this is the time we live in and I can't help but think after not even like the Harvey Weinstein sort of conversation but even like the James Toback conversation where like yeah. his argument to these like young female actresses was like you can't like connect with me as a director unless we understand each other sexually. Yeah. There's that scene with Susan Sarandon where she like 
her, she hits the perfect notes on her cello. She's a cellist in addition to a public school music teacher. And then there's this moment where he, like, Jack Nicholson, like, lifts up her skirt so she's, like, straddling the cello. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, there you go. Now that you've turned the cello into a sex object, like, now you can understand it. And, of course, like, then this cello, like, literally lights on fire and they make passionate love. Right. But I think, like, but is it satire or is it straight faced like this? Cause it knows that Jack Nicholson is the devil and that he is a predator. And it also knows he's not good looking. Right. It also knows that he's disgusting and like <laughs> past his prime. And he also knows that his move, like it, it knows like the, the, the diagnosis you just made of his, his pickup artistry. It knows that. Yeah. Cause it repeats it three times for you to see it like note for note and how he does it. So is it satirizing that though? Or is it sort of, cause then there's like this crazy speech at the climax of the movie after Jack Nicholson has just vomited all over a church yeah, puking Where up he hundreds of, and hundreds of cherry pits in the pews. Like, there's that the, he has this question of like, are are women not the problem with society? Right. But does the movie believe? What does the movie believe? I think is my question. So I think a charitable reading, and I think a reading that can be made is that like this is a parable about. Uh, women in abusive relationships, right? I mean, when when Jack goes in that that another monologue to share about like, why don't you just take care of me for once? Why don't you give me some respect? Um, and <laughs> this is a nice Jack Nicholson. Right? I don't do a good Jack Nicholson. My voice is just too high. Um, but I mean, that's like the and I like I never hurt you. I love you. It's like a classic like abusers like line, sure. right? Um, yeah. And then you have, I mean, not to spoil the movie, but the movie ends with, like, the women having had this experience and then having to, you know, to look in themselves and important parts of their life and be like, is that abuser always going to be with me? And, like, is the part of me that, like, encountered that, is, like, is like is that is that still there? Which, like, that's right. a pretty interesting, like, way to read this movie. But the thing is, I don't think that... The movie gives so much real estate to Jack and so little to the psychologies of its three female leads that, like, I think it might be hard to buy. Well, that's the thing, too. The movie, and not to spoil it, but the movie ends on the note of all the women agreeing that they miss him. Yes. So, like, what is the takeaway there? Like, after this whole thing of them being like having their psyches broken down in this like psychosexual game and like being totally ostracized from this small town, you know, and then like losing their own identities, trying to establish their own independence from what they've learned and having him physically like try to hurt them because of this. Right. And then they're like, they hatch this plan of like, Oh, we'll get back together with him, but secretly we'll like figure out how to kill him. But after they do, they miss him. And then he's still sort of there. And they're kind of like, we had his babies and like, there he is. Yep. So like, it's either a very cynical look at like what abusive relationships do to people or 
it's saying that abusive relationships are like a bizarre necessary evil, which I mean, both of those are pretty fucked up. <laughs> well put. Yeah, this is a fucked up movie, man. God, I watched it with my girlfriend and my mother this afternoon. How was that? We were just uh, baffled. Yeah. We were transfixed, but also just like baffled by it. That's and then when we the turned it off, my mom and Lucy were both just like, we hated that. <laughs> um, yeah, and in addition to being baffling, it's also kind of boring you know i don't know if i can go that far with you i think i was always like i was always on board like where because like just the outfits that jack nicholson is wearing and like scene to scene like anything can and will happen which is like both deeply entertaining but also like deeply frustrating i mean i might be overstating it by saying it's boring but again i think that I think that you need to, the middle act of this movie should be where they're at the house and Jack Nicholson is like teaching them magic, right? Right. And instead we have these just like intense, slow burning seductions that go, that are probably 15 minutes a piece. And so there kind of weirdly is no middle act to this movie. Um, It's just kind of like Jack seduces and then like Jack dies, which is... Its attention is in the wrong place. It's got Cher and Michelle Pfeiffer and Susan Sarandon. Right. But there's just something so fascinating about this movie. Like, the tennis sequence is, like, totally bizarre. Yeah, it's bizarre, but but it's unwatchable, too. See, I don't don't agree with you. Because, like, the movie asks this question of, like, aren't these women... what, What I'll give it this movie in, like, its sexual politics is, like aren't these women now going to like fight over this man? And like the tennis sequence is the answer to that where it's like, if we bend the rules of what the game is, we can all sort of act in harmony and like share him yeah, and like all get our own things out of this, which I thought was sort of a fascinating, like visual thing for this movie to do. And then again, not to spoil this movie from like a thousand years ago, but the Jack Nicholson clay monster at the end is like unbelievable. Yeah. I think worth the price of admission. But you are enjoying what is the film's biggest flaw. It is in that its focus is not in the right place to tell a good story. Yeah, but I think that makes it like pretty quintessential. If I can tip my hand a little bit, tip it all the bad, way. Bad, good. It's quintessential bad, good. It's such a like it's such a mess, but such an entertaining mess. And these like beautiful women just sort of like doing insane things for essentially no reason, yeah. and then the responses to it, both by the community and by me as a as a theater goer, like. <laughs> It's just, I, I don't, it, it, it makes even less sense. I guess, yeah, when I saw them having fun, like just Cher and Susan Sarandon running from like dog ADR Jack at the end, and then right. Cher like t- pretending to pose naturally and eating a banana, like they, it, was so, it was so heartwarming to me to just get to see them have that fun that it became all the more apparent that, that should have been the whole movie. Yeah. So... Y- 
It's going to be a bad, bad for me. It's going to be bad, bad. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's not surprising. Like, it's a horrible movie. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But for me, as like a cinematic provocateur, oh. like, I think oh. I have to give it... Is that how you see yourself? That is how I see myself. I think I have to give it a bad good just for like how campy and strange and loud it was. A failure. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. This movie did not succeed, but it failed, like you say in our little clip there, it failed in such an entertaining way. Can, can we say a little bit about like, you know, Vulture did Witch Week? I mean, these this was kind of like a rough category, but not a like uninteresting one. Um, yeah, this, this, this category is interesting. And I think the movies we picked were interesting because like, frankly, I think they all get like what's interesting about witches and covens wrong. They're like ultimately pretty conservative or cynical movies that like have this like female empowerment all for the most part based on a guy or the sexual act a guy can provide. And that's like the opposite or falling in love with a guy or like a virgin male lighting a candle. It's like all, it's all like hinging on this like male character, which is so antithetical to like what even Diane Weiss and Sagar Channing are talking about in the exposition to uh, practical magic. So that's what I had a, I would love to see a witch movie that like is about women yeah. <laughs> and not about men <laughs> <laughs> yeah the truly great witch rom-com maybe has not been made yet or just which doesn't even have to be rom-com i i pray it's not <laughs> that's true um yeah or the, the rom could be just like affection for their craft or affection for their coven um yeah but yeah i mean it's interesting to see a lot of people go back and there were a lot of pieces kind of reckoning with the fact that people want to like these movies now because between, between Bette Midler, SJP, uh, Nicole Kidman, Sandra Bullock, Diane Weiss, Stockard Channing, Cher, Susan Sarandon, and Michelle Pfeiffer, you have a lot of fucking incredible talented women in these movies. Right. But people are kind of going back and being like, this was underappreciated, but like, it's still kind of fucked up. Right. Underappreciated, but like also bad. <laughs> Well, my friend, it was so good to do a podcast with you again. Damn God, it. let's not wait another month to uh, do it. And in fact, we may be able to do one live and in person the next time. Isn't that right? We may. We have not discussed this, but I'm sure we can sneak something in. Right. I mean, I've been thinking about it nonstop. Chance and I will be in the same location uh, this coming weekend. That's right. So. I'm amped for that. Well, folks, as always... Uh, we would love for our podcast to put a further spell in you. You can visit uh, berealpodcast.com, Be Real Pod on Twitter. You can find Be Real on Facebook. You can listen at SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your shows. We should be there. But my friend, I have a happy Halloween. All right. This is a song about an old Welsh witch. Bye. Rhiannon rings like a bell through the night. And wouldn't you love?